and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs and it's an absolute pleasure to have your company and to get the conversation out there about an illness that affects one in nine endo warriors in Australia. It's proudly produced in conjunction with the amazing team at Endometriosis Australia. And what I want you to do after you listen to this podcast, share it around. Make sure you give it a review, leave it a like, and I especially want you to share this with the males in your life, in particular, the fathers. In this episode, we catch up with Julian Abbott. Now, his voice you may remember if you are from Canberra, you've ever listened to Triple Six ABC Canberra. He is the news reader on it. He's got such a distinctive voice. I've grown up listening to him for years and years, and he actually just lives around the corner from me in the ACT. His name is Julian Abbott. He's got two daughters with endometriosis. His wife, Amanda, who is absolutely amazing, jumps in the episode as well. And I think this would have to be my favourite chat so far in this podcast series, Living With Endo, because it really is so open, honest, raw and real. And I know that you're going to be able to relate to this story. So please enjoy the gorgeous Julian and Amanda Abbott. It was many years ago that our universes collided because I grew up listening to you. You're the the newsreader and the sports guy on Triple Six ABC Canberra. And then through a dear friend of ours, we kind of, uh, we we met and then also turned out that you guys live in like the same suburb as my parents of Hackett in the ACT. Anyway, so we've connected and we've known each other over the years and the common theme in our friendship, because your wife Amanda as well is good friends with my mum, is endometriosis and your daughter Elizabeth. Uh, that is right. It's it's the yellow connection, let's yes. just call it that. And if I go upstairs, I can see your house, your mum and dad's <laughs> house. So it is, it is all very close on that front, but it is close via um, endometriosis as well. And we have two daughters. Uh, one is 28 and the other one is 23. I'll say sadly that they both have endometriosis. The oldest daughter has stage four endometriosis plus a couple of other things thrown in for good measure. Mm. And our younger daughter, the 23-year-old, also has endometriosis. Uh, she has stage two. Um, she's had just the one surgery, which came in September of last year, which uh, was reasonably successful, we think. Uh, she's also taking a different treatment path uh, to our elder daughter. And, and that's if there's anything fortunate about this, it's we've been able to learn from our, our elder daughter, Elizabeth, and the treatment that she's had. And we've been able to assist our younger daughter, Sarah, with the treatment that she's received. So things that we did for Elizabeth that didn't work out, we've known that they might not work for, for Sarah. And as we all know, not every endometriosis patient is the same. Um, you know, they do suffer differently. But it's been, from that point of view, it's it's been a welcome boost. It's been a good learning curve to be able to have what Elizabeth has been through so we can you know, look at that for Sarah and Sarah can look at that for herself as well. Um, you know, Sarah is on um, TCH oil. She's on CBD. CBD. There we are. This is my wife, Amanda, with us here. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so she's taken that course, but Elizabeth hasn't been down that path yet. Now, for Sarah, she's finding that that is really helping for her. Mm. Uh, but, but, you know, she still has pain flares and, and things like that. But for her, with stage two, it's not as, um, it's not as, yeah, crippling, not as graphic. Mm. 
as it is for Elizabeth with stage four. Now, Elizabeth also has fibromyalgia and she also has a heart disease, which we believe might have been, could have been born out of the endometriosis wow. called POTS where that's a, a rapid acceler- acceleration of your heart. Yeah. So. I know um, Tiff Hall, the personal trainer, she's spoken about having that recently. That's yes, something you that's have to right. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw her talking about that with mm. her husband. And um, it's not uncommon, especially for people with endometriosis and, and oh. things like that. With people with debilitating diseases where their fitness levels plummet, POTS apparently is sort of goes hand in hand mm. with it. And, it. and yeah, it's another complication and another lot of specialists. And now yeah. I do remember you told me the story of when Elizabeth first was going through trying to figure out the pain and getting an endo diagnosis and that one doctor didn't even know how to spell it. What happened there? At the end of the day, Elizabeth basically self-diagnosed herself. Mm. I can remember one night, we, we live in a two-story house, and I can remember she came up, tried to come upstairs one night with tremendous pain and at the end of the day, it was put down as a birth cyst, but she wasn't satisfied with that result, and she went looking. You do what you do in this day and age, Ellie. You go to Dr. Google. You know, she started looking around, investigating, and she thought that I had, you know, that she had endometriosis. You know, we started to, you know, go to her doctor about it. She saw a specialist about it. And in the end, you know, we know the average diagnosis can be 10 years. For Elizabeth, it was a lot quicker than that. And she did this in her mid-teens. She would have been about 16 when this was occurring. And and she insisted on seeing a gynaecologist. And in the end, she was right with her self-diagnosis. It was diagnosed as endometriosis. So, but, you know... The, the, the path that she went through, you know, that was a long period of time, you know, trying to get it confirmed and things like that. You talk about, you know, trying to, you know, spell endometriosis and things like that. It was a doctor in Canada, yes, that she she was lucky enough to get a job uh, to go away um, after school and university. And she went to Canada for a year you know, to Whistler and worked in the hotels there with lots of other Australians. And, you know, she still, the endometriosis didn't leave, it went with her. And, you know, we had to get forms signed and, and approval to get medication over there for her for endometriosis. But there was a doctor over there that just a general practitioner, you know, she'd have to go and see for her pain. He'd never heard of endometriosis. You know, he had to look it up. He had to find out what it was. And each time she was going to this doctor, it was costing her $700 because she had no health care over there as being a non-citizen of Canada. Um, So that was a tremendous burden. Luckily, you know, we had travel insurance. I don't think that travel insurance people will ever travel insure her again. But (laughs) nonetheless, we did get some of the money back. But, you know, that was just on the other side of the world when she was looking for support that she needed from a medical practitioner, she wasn't getting it. But anyway, back here... She did see a gynaecologist and it was declared and determined rather that she did have, you know, endometriosis by a laparos- laparoscopy. I can't say that. Laparoscopy. That's the one. <laughs> and I must say that I get up at 2.47 in the morning mm. and we're doing this in the afternoon and I'm a little bit tired. Anyway, <laughs> so that was, that was the start of her journey. So she did go to Sydney and she had surgery in Sydney with Jason Abbott. But, you know, going to Sydney is quite traumatic for her. And Mm. at the moment, she should have gone to Sydney this year and last year. But obviously with COVID, we can't go to Sydney at the moment because of lockdown and also ACT restrictions on New South Wales. So Mm. that's sort of put a hold on 
all those sorts will of be things. affecting a lot of people as well in the regional areas who can't oh, travel yeah, to Sydney is. with and the elective surgeries being put on hold. COVID has really put a lot of stress on the endo warriors. Oh, yeah, look, you know, put endometriosis aside, you know, Canberra Hospital is a big hospital for the south of New South Wales, but there are surgeries you can't get in Canberra that you have to go to Sydney for. Mm. That's where a lot of people go. So I heard a statistic the other day that they're now because of the number of people who can't get to Sydney because of COVID for surgery, they're heading towards years of a backlog of patients mm. going to Sydney for surgery. So, you know, toss endometriosis in there and going down there because that's where her current pain specialist is. Mm. You know, he was going to treat her and detox her off a lot of the medication she's got at the moment, but that just hasn't been possible. So she does have a gynecologist here. She has had surgery here. Um, uh, done by him a few times and each time it's successful but you know you've been through the surgery as well as have a lot of people listening to this and you know it's not a full stop on endometriosis it's just part of the journey each surgery so I think Elizabeth's had five four operations Mm. uh, for the endometriosis but then you know you've got this surgery that she was going to go to Sydney for, she was going to have Botox on the endometriosis. And they were very nervous about her heart condition, so we had to go and see heart specialists because of the POTS. They wouldn't put her under because of the POTS and things mm. like that. So, you know, it's just the conga line of specialists that you have to go to that makes it really hard as well. And expensive. And, expensive. Yes. and, you know, she's lucky that we're okay financially, and I know a lot of people with endometriosis aren't. But, you know, we are there... We, we can help her. At the end of the day, it's still an expensive process. And that's that's part of the problems for a lot of people. You know, the medication is very expensive as well. Mm. And anyway, she was going to go to Sydney for this surgery, but they were nervous about her heart condition. So in the end, it hasn't come off because of lockdown. We've now secured her a new pain specialist here in Canberra um, who does work with her gynaecologist. But at the end of the day, that was Elizabeth having to explain everything over and over again. Mm. Uh, which becomes quite tiresome, can be quite traumatic. There needs to be a better way for people to share their medical records in this country when it comes to things like this. And people, you know, understand what people have been through and respect the judgment of other medical practitioners who have advised people. And also to educate as well the people in, you know, the emergency department, for example, because you've had several circumstances Uh, where you have gone to ED in Canberra and, uh, well, there's been some really horrible things that have been said to your daughter. It's like playing Russian roulette when you go to the ED. (laughs) You know, there has been, through Endometriosis Australia and other bodies, attempts to try and educate people who work in emergency departments. And I think to a certain degree that has been helping. But um, I'll give you two examples. And Elizabeth avoids the hospital. You know, she can be in a lot of pain and she avoids the hospital. You know, if she goes, she's in a bad way and she doesn't want to be there because of the experiences and the trauma that she's had. Every few months she ends up in ho- having to go to hospital because the pain gets to a point where it can no longer be managed at home. Yeah. It just, yeah. um, because she has a suspected fibromyalgia as well, so she's dealing with chronic pain every day yeah. um, and her, uh, her medications can generally maintain or make things manageable, but then, uh, then she just has these blowouts and the only thing she can really do is go to ED. Mm. But as Julian said, there are times when 
we've gone up there and sat up there for hours and been ignored and clearly you're not going to die from pain and and that sort of puts you to the bottom of a triage list often mm -hmm. which is just ridiculous because you've got you know these poor people um, sitting in excruciating pain that can't be can't receive any decent medication because they're not being correctly monitored. Mm, that must be so. so hard because I know parents will do anything for their kids and for you both to just see Elizabeth and and your other daughter Sarah too going through such a crap time with this. Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's awful. But you know, Sarah doesn't live with us; she's moved out. Mm. Um, but Elizabeth is with us and. I can tell you here and now that Elizabeth didn't plan to be living with us at the age of 28, mm. and I don't think we plan to have her here at the age of 28. Anyway, a couple of times that she's been to the hospital, there I can remember there was a guy, and a lot of the, the GPs that work in the hospitals at Canberra aren't from Canberra. They, they fly them in to work in the ED, and they pay them you know, a couple of grand for a week, and then they fly them home again, and they put them up. And a couple of times she had a guy who actually is a doctor at a mine in South Australia, and he was absolutely fantastic. He was just wonderful. Wow. He was so sympathetic. He got endometriosis. He knew what she was going through, and it was fantastic. She told a little bit of the story, but he didn't want to hear it all because he trusted her that he she was in pain. And he knew what to do for her. He consulted what he would like, you know, she'd like for him to do for her. And it was great, and we just fluked it. The two times that she went, we got this guy. He was over from the mine in South Australia, and we got him a couple of times. And then we had another instance in, uh, well, I think it was early last year, 2020, I think. Um, and um, they waited for a while at the hospital. Hours. Hours and hours. And then in the end, they got not into a bed, just into a triage room. A male doctor again, and they sat down, and he said to her, so how do you want to play this game today? Oh. And, you know, if Elizabeth wasn't in the pain that she was, I'm sure she would have got up and jobbed him one. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you because... were contemplating it. <laughs> oh, There were raised voices, I can tell you. Yeah. There were raised voices. <laughs> and we made a complaint to the, the, the hospital concerned. And they, in the end, defended their doctor. Mm. Um, but it wasn't what you'd expect from a hospital and it wasn't what you'd expect from a medical practitioner. I can tell you, Ellie, what, he's, what Elizabeth's response to him saying, how do you want to play this game is, and I won't repeat it in full because it's obviously not for everybody's ears, um, but she said, this is no game, this is my life you were talking about. Mm. And that I thought was really poignant because it, it's absolutely right, he was so fickle about her situation and had a complete lack of understanding that this was her life. This is something she has to deal with all mm. the time. Um, and he had this supercilious smile on his face. He's, we refused to speak with him further and just ask for a, a senior doctor because it was actually the only way to manage it. The really awful part about this as well is the, the long-term effects of these things. Mm. And as Julian said, she will, Elizabeth will do anything she can to avoid going to hospital or avoid going to a new specialist of any kind, whether, you know, whether it's a, you know, endo-related or whether it's a psychologist or, a, you know, all the other things that need to go along with her journey, so to speak, mm. because she's just so nervous about the fact that that she may receive that sort of treatment from somebody, that she just gets brushed off. 
and she has PTSD as a result of it. Now that is like that's not minor. That is something that as if she has got enough to deal with without adding that to the pile of of things that she has to deal with every day. It, it comes down to the thing that a lot of endo sufferers suffer from, apart from the pain, is belief. A lot of people look at somebody with endometriosis and you know think, oh, you look all right today, you must be fine. It's that lack of belief in the illness mm. that, you know, if, if you'd had your arm chopped off or something like that, people would go, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? But with this, you can't see it, you know. I've, I've, I've worked with a couple of women mm. who've had endometriosis, but with one of them, I could always tell when she was sick. I could just sense, you know, having had two daughters with it, just that the drained look in their face and... I just used to send her home. So you know, good, just, and that's what should be yeah. happening. It, it's it's actually refreshing to hear uh, employers understanding what's going on for the endo warriors. I mean, I had a boss once say to me, "When are you going to get over this shit?" It's like, sorry. Yeah. What? Well, you know, you speak of employment, and Elizabeth doesn't work at the moment. Mm. Um, but she has worked and, you know, I spoke about her going over to Canada and working in Whistler, which was a great time for her. And out of that, she has made her closest friends, which is just delightful for us. So much so one of them actually lives with us at the moment. Oh, wow. so that's a long story. Um, but that's, that has been fantastic for Elizabeth, by the way. But it, she's made her best friends over there, but yeah. she really struggled over there. Uh, we brought her home one time to see a specialist here in Australia and flew her back again. We brought her home in October because she was lucky enough with her results at university. She secured a graduate position uh, with the Australian Taxation Office. So, you know, a lot of people go for grad jobs in the ACT uh, through the public service because, the, you know, the, the, there was 44 at the tax office and they're sought after and all the government departments do it. Mm-hmm. And they pay quite well for a first-year employee in the public service. So she was lucky enough uh, with interviews from Canada to secure a grab position with the tax office. Anyway, she got to Australia, which she came back home and um, rested for a few months before she had to go and do this. And she joined the tax office at the end of January uh, in 2017. And they sacked her by April in 2017. And they sacked her for non-attendance at work because of her endometriosis. Um, In the opening speech by the tax commissioner at the time, um, she collapsed during his talk and he he made an off-the-cuff remark, I've never had anyone collapse before. He didn't know that, you know, she had endometriosis. She tried every day to get to work to do her job um, because she was really looking forward to loving her job. But she was sick with endo. Mm. She used up a sick leave pretty quickly and any little bit of rec leave she had in that short period. And then one day they informed her that she'd been terminated from a position for non-attendance. A decision that was made by somebody in Brisbane, not in Canberra, where she was working. Did she ever let anyone know what was going on? Yes, they knew that she had endometriosis. You know, one of of her senior employers there or senior staff members to her, who was a woman, said to her, oh, well, you're looking pretty good today, so you must be fine. Let's get on with work. So it was that, it was that sort of attitude. It was actually all very 
done in a very clandestine manner actually. Yeah. They she started being called in for sort of informal interviews and she wasn't given she wasn't really told why she was being brought in and she was a bit naive. She didn't take a support person or anything and she certainly didn't take any notes. But, you know, the sort of frequency of being called in suddenly became a bit more uh, a bit more regular and um it, when it, they actually she she was off, uh, off. Every time she was off, she had a medical certificate. It was all was always completely legitimate yeah. um, and supported. But she was she actually had just told them that, that she'd been advised by the medicos to take uh, six weeks off. And it was during that, just at that point, that they then sent her. Her one of her um, supervisors was ringing her to say, "Oh, by the way, you're going to receive a letter." Um, in the next few days saying that you've been terminated. Well, it was completely illegal. What they did was completely, totally discriminatory. Yeah. And, in fact, we fought it. Um, and we we got some assistance from, you know, thank goodness. This is the other thing I I'd <laughs> would like to say as a parent of somebody with, uh, you know, a person with endometriosis, that having advocates is so important because... Um, often, you know, when you're unwell, you can't fight hard yourself. You need other people to fight on your behalf. Um, and fortunately, we're, we're in a position to be able to do that. But, you know, for, for people out there with endometriosis, if you're on your own, it must be very, very difficult navigating, navigating your way through all this by yourself because you just get beaten down and you just can't fight back. Mm. But we did fight back and they did end up having to offer her that position again the following year, but they had traumatised her to a point that there's no way she could have stepped foot across that office door again. Mm. She would have, you know, probably thrown up on their doorstep um, because she was so upset um, and traumatised by by what had happened. And that stays with with her, you know. That's something that she's now living with, and it's it's was a terrible experience. Well, I, and I think you know when a man spoke of the trauma of the hospital visits or the trauma of the tax department it all goes to knocking your self-confidence yeah. and you know on a scale of 10 I would say Elizabeth's self-confidence when dealing with things like that is extremely low maybe one or two at best and that also affects how she goes to doctors and things like that you know if she's feeling really blur and she's got a doctor's appointment we've you know we cancel lots of appointments um, because she's just not feeling up to it and a percentage of that is she's not feeling up to it not only physically but mentally as well because mm. her, her confidence is gone and that's affected her mentally as well and mm. you know that that's what we've got to try and do we've got to try and get her on a course to make her a little bit more better mm. than what she is at the moment um, and we're doing that with a new pain specialist here and, and maybe some more surgery here or different treatments here mm. um, another change to her medications as well which she's had a few of um, and we'll try and, and, you know, activate those things. But the other thing that we've got to work with is her mental stability as well because it really has just ruined her. Mm. And that's what a lot of people don't understand as well. It's the mental effects that you do suffer when you have a chronic illness like endometriosis. And and for you guys as parents, you know, I'd love to know, Julian, specifically for a father um, to other dads who may tune into this podcast, what would your advice be if they see their daughter uh, going through endometriosis? I think the the first word you can say is support, just support. And also the word belief, again, is another mm. one. As a father that lives 
as the only male in the house, and that's humans and dogs, <laughs> um, <laughs> you need to know when to speak and not when to speak. Um, which is a good thing for a dad sometimes. And, you know, there's conversations that they have that I'm not party to and things like that. But I do come home every day from work in the morning and, you know, I do go and see Elizabeth and she'll be asleep a lot of the time, but I'll just say, hi, I'm home and things like that. Before I go to bed in the evening, I'll go and say, hi, then I'm going to bed now. She's still, she's having a bad day. Um, you know, we had a text conversation at 20 past five this morning, which was great. I think, you know, it's... I. I'm very, very lucky in that Manda's such a wonderful mother to both our daughters. She doesn't work, so she's available to do all the heavy lifting, and she's done a lot of the heavy lifting. As a father, all you can do is, I think, and it's a bit like your dad, is support and go to the endo events mm -hmm. and, and do other things for them and help them out and, you know, get things for them. And, you know, it's a little, it's, it's I'll be honest and say that, it's really, I find it really hard to deal with sometimes. Mm. Um, but it, and it took me at first a while to get used to it. And I think there's still some aspects of it that I still struggle with. But I know that she's in pain. I know that she's not well. I know that, you know, she's got a very small circle of friends because of it. And that is what I find heartbreaking. So all I can let her know is that, you know, we, we do love her. And we do help her. You know, she wrote me, it was my birthday recently, and she wrote me the most beautiful card, which I'll keep forever. Yeah. And, and, and you know, so there is a relationship there. It's really hard. It's, mm. And it's hard for Manda as well. You know, it's, Manda's the one that goes to the chemist every Monday morning to get her medications because her medications are licensed and we can only get them once a week and blah, blah, blah. And Amanda's the one that sits there and puts out her medications in the box your grandmother should have, the Monday to Sunday box you know, for tablets and things like that. And it's it's really tough. And But I would not do it because she's our daughter. And she's so lucky to have two incredible supporting parents like you. And Elizabeth is such a gorgeous girl. You know, I got to meet her at the Endo High Tees previously. And, you know, she was up and about and she was helping with the flower displays. And I, I just want to see her shine bright in the future because she deserves it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. She she does. And you know, she loves doing stuff like that. Mm. But you know, we've just we've just got to try and and help her, mm. you know, sort out her body and you know, maybe get back on her feet to a certain degree. But it's, you know, it's really it's really hard and it's it's draining on all of us. It yeah. it's draining like it, I can't imagine what it's like for her. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine the pain that she goes through, but it's really tiring for Amanda, Amanda, my wife. It's hard as well to see for someone that did so well at university and she did really really well at university. You know, and someone is so full of potential and I could be, you know, this could be everybody with endometriosis. Everybody with endo is full of potential. But on a personal level, to see someone who did do so well at university, to basically spend her days at home is really hard. Mm. Sometimes I think to myself that, you know, I remember this little girl who was really full of, you know, full of life and really bright and one of these people that was, you know, like she was wiser than her years from a very early age. 
until she became a teenager and, you know, got a period and things. And then her life just changed so dramatically. Mm. Suddenly to be dealing with, you know, somebody with a disability effectively, you know, that her, her life has changed so much because of her, her, her experiences with endometriosis. And it's just unfathomable, you know, to think that she was such a an active, like she's, you know, she was a swimmer. She was, you know, had to participate all in all the cross countries and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, that's things have certainly changed over the years. But look, you know, again with the all, you know, the fantastic work that's being done, you know, through, you know, hopefully the national action plan will, mm. you know, some good things will come out of that, including, you know, educating the medicos so that you know, people don't have the experience, those sorts of experiences in in hospitals and surgeries and stuff like that. If we can educate the medical staff a bit more, that would be a fantastic thing. And of course, the research and everything else and, you know, Endometriosis Australia and Quendo and the bodies that are pulling all this stuff together. Mm. That's, that's the way out of here. Research, mm. you know, got to, we've got to try and find out how to stop yeah. this disease. And I said to Van, the other night on the news, we saw something about, I think it was dementia and how they could now diagnose or dementia or, you know, look at people who might be a candidate for, you know, getting dementia, yeah. sadly. Yeah. Um, and I said to Amanda, I said, look, they're doing stuff all the time on things. You know, our world, of, we, we've just been swept up and we've all been bundled up in COVID, which is a horrible thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, life still goes on aside from that. And people are still working on other things and you know with the dementia thing you know I said you know look they are trying they are looking at these things and mm. you know a cure for this might be you know six months away it could be six years away but that's what we need people to do because you know we all know the one in nine we all know the billions of dollars it costs the economy each year but you know and that's that's a horrible thing on mass but it's the personal toll that it takes on people as well and mm. If we can save people from that, then research, research is the way to go. Absolutely. And just by you, Julian and Amanda, telling us this incredible story of uh, Elizabeth, if we can continue right. to, you know, get that, that funding into from the government and just, you know, by donations through Indo Australia and for research, I mean, that is the key for the future because, it is. gosh, it, it is. I would and, love... And I don't, I'd, I don't want to disparage anybody else and I don't want to disparage other illnesses. Mm. That seems like a weird thing to say. But uh, I must say from Elizabeth's point of view, she does get frustrated sometimes when she sees, and this might be a really off way of saying it, but sees, more, sees one of the more sexy illnesses mm -hmm. getting hundreds of millions of dollars and things like that. And, you know, and she says, well, why can't we have that money? Why can't Endo have that money? You know, it affects half the population, Endo, the female population. And that she finds a little frustrating. Mm. So, you know, every dollar helps with this because, you know, you, you eliminate this problem out of society and you're saving us ringing an ambulance. You're saving Elizabeth from going to Calvary you know, or Canberra Hospital or whatever and sitting there for hours and taking up a bed. You know, you're saving us petrol to the chemist every Monday morning, all yeah. these sorts of things. An and she an becomes an employable person. Yeah. There's so many factors that it can change. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's the key to this disease is to not only manage people physically and mentally, but at the end of the day, just find that cure. Mm.
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I hope one day that we talk over a cup of tea, um, the beautiful suburb of Hackett in the ACT, about the cure being found for endometriosis. Julian and Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, this has just been an incredible chat. And please pass on my love to Elizabeth and give her a giant virtual hug from me. I hope that she's feeling good, <laughs> as good as she Thanks, can. Thanks, Ellie. I told you it was a good episode. Big thank you so much to Julian and Amanda Abbott for their time and also to their daughters, Elizabeth and Sarah. Thank you for allowing your parents to speak so open and honestly about what it's been like living with endometriosis. And I'm sure there's so many people that can relate to this story. And as I suggested, make sure you share this episode around with your family, especially to the fathers, because I... I think the fathers really do struggle when they see their daughters going through such a debilitating disease. As usual, if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you give it a like, leave it a review, give it five stars, because that lets others know that there is a podcast out about endo. And if you'd like to make a donation as well, it's the perfect Christmas gift. You can make your donations, which go towards research and education, endometriosisaustralia.org, the place to do it. I look forward to chatting with you soon. In the meantime, stay safe and thanks for listening.